I'm Steve Backshaw, and you're listening to the Aussie Wildlife Show. Alright guys, welcome to the Aussie Wildlife Show. Adrian here and I'm here of course with Steve. G'day guys. And we're very lucky to have with us today Dr. Cheryl Wilson, General Practitioner with a lifelong passion for wildlife and nature which influenced you to get into lifestyle medicine. That's right. Hello. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> um, can you talk to us a bit about what lifestyle medicine is? Oh, it'd be my pleasure. So it's um, it's core medicine. Every once in a while I hear people think it's alternative medicine, but uh, if you think about it, you wouldn't put dirt in the petrol tank. So it's 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 the nutrition that we eat, whole foods, stuff that uh, looks like it's come off the farmer tree. We know it's right for me. Eating really healthy, um, moving our bodies. We're, we're just genetically made to, to keep on the move, and that's what we've done for a few hundred thousand years, and we're just hardwired for that. We need to sleep well, which is uh, almost an epidemic these days, and usually is one of my starting points. The other thing is you know, not smoking. Sorry, people, and you know, drinking responsibly. But and the quality of our relationships—that's uh, that's a powerful influence on our health and well-being. So loneliness is uh, more detrimental to our health than smoking. That is not encouraging people to smoke, but it just shows how powerful it is. And all a part of that, I think, is nature. So I've just intuitively known it as a child growing up in northern Ontario and Canada, and and walking through the forest and um, watching raccoons in the bird feeder at night and, uh, you know, seeing tadpoles grow into frogs in, in, in this pond at the back of the lake and things like that. And it's always been... Um, I've always been happier when I'm in nature, so when I need time off, I almost invariably go looking for a species. And and then when I'm out there in the forest or out on the water or wherever I am, and you just think, oh, why can't life be like this all the time? And, and that's because this is where we come from. Uh, we were talking about um, being in WA with the stromat. Oh, I can't pronounce that. Stromatolites. Thank you. That's why I call them cyanobacteria. I can pronounce that one. You know, we, we're we're all we're all in this together. We, if you go back far enough, we share ancestry with every living being on the planet. So, can't be a surprise that when we've taken ourselves out of our natural habitat and, and into an artificial setting like a, a city, and and really cage ourselves in our homes that we're not as healthy as we could be. So there's a lot of stuff there that you mentioned to make somebody healthy and balanced from sleep and eating and healthy relationships and getting in touch with nature and all of those things are pretty easy, pretty simple things. They're often not expensive things. But with today's lifestyle, we're often very busy. You know, you've got the kids and you have work and all the things. That's got to present a, a lot of challenges in getting that balanced lifestyle, doesn't it? Absolutely. And that's why taking time to, to talk with someone, because everybody's life is different and everybody has different reasons why they want to be healthy and why it's important to them and how they want to do it. So talking to someone about their why and what they need in their lives to be able to have the time, and I invariably almost comes down a lot of time, I keep hearing about the stress at work and, and I can relate to that. I made a big change a couple of years ago to practice the way I am doing both for my own well-being as, as hopefully for my patients. Uh, and when you're having that conversation, then looking at how you can implement it. So uh, often I'll throw out a few ideas. I, I, I invariably sit outside for lunch. When I worked in an Aboriginal health clinic, the practice manager and I, whenever we had a meeting, we would go outside and we'd walk and talk. 
So there's there's ways to, to implement it. There's uh, often I say to people that um, after dinner, don't sit down on the couch. You know, grab your, your, your child's hand, your partner's hand, the leash for the dog, whatever, and, and just go out. And, and I usually say, can you do five minutes? And people go out and do five minutes. But when you start moving and you're relaxing, then invariably it usually goes to 10 15 maybe even 20 minutes and and then they notice how good they feel because there's just a wealth of research out there that shows that when we get outside when we get in the sunlight when we get around nature when we're around good people we we are invariably healthier and happier do you think a lot of people are aware of these things they just don't know how to bite into it or do they lack the discipline to make it happen or do you think it's something they hadn't considered like oh gee whiz I haven't moved around for a while and maybe that's why I feel a bit depressed or sad or yeah I think um, if you look at the changes in the way we work and and even socialize it's all come down to computers and devices and there's a whole epidemic of children with neck pain that's never been there and that's <laughs> I've had one parent come in and I said have a look at him and he's like at a 90 degree angle staring down <laughs> And not even socially interacting, just looking at the the screen. And so we, we socialize on social media, um, which unfortunately is showed invariably the more we're involved in social media, the unhappier and more depressed and lower our mood is. They did a study where um, people were in invited to not engage in social media for a month and within a week they were statistically healthier and happier and um, and and by actually interacting with people on a face-to-face then of course work and and our entertainment it's a video game it's on tv it's all these things so all the things that are sort of happening in our lives almost sort of um, duct tape us down to a computer or an electronic device these days and I think it's just been insipid and it's just come up, rolled up on us and we haven't really caught on to the fact that when we were kids mom would go get out of the kitchen get outside piff you're out the back door and you're running to your friend's place or on the bike or going for a swim we were in, invariably outside with friends in nature and um, we've compartmentalized uh, you know I, I remember s- I grew up on a street where we, we were like a little mob uh, you know that went up and down the street and we were either playing road hockey or we were you know whatever chase but it's they've sort of lost that this these past few generations and there's actually a condition called nature deficit disorder that we now have have you heard of that i feel like i may have heard of that i was just reading about it (laughs) 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 yes and the children they're finding children are more anxious lower moods and of course with all that comes a poorer academic performance and and attention deficit with it they found in a new zealand study that for within a three kilometer radius can imagine three kilometers because we're looking out at like the lorikeets uh, rainbow lorikeets flew in it's, it's i could even feel it myself that i just lifted up a little bit a little piece of joy when i saw those two little birds come in and we have the wind here we have the scent all that stuff and the kids are are missing that and so if within a three kilometer region of where we live if we increase the amount of green in that area by one percent we decrease the likelihood of depression anxiety by four percent so by doubling the amount of green around us we decrease the likelihood of our lowering our mood by 400 percent and that's just how powerful 
I can keep going. There's um, functional MRI studies where people are put in there and within like one one hundredth of a second they show them a nice little scene with some trees. They, a lot of people might even not even have noticed that they even saw that, but on the functional MRI where you can see the brain's action in real time, it actually shows up that the more relaxed, happier dopamine, serotonin part of the brain lights up. Of course, then they did the opposite and showed asphalt, concrete cities. And the part of the brain that is stress and sympathetic nervous system fight or flight lights up. And something as simple as having a picture of nature in your room. I, 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 in my clinic, I, with purpose, have a plant for my own well-being as well as my patients. Because I, I, can't, have, I can't have a window looking out because I'm a doctor. <laughs> you don't want anybody looking in. But in hospitals, they, um, they've done studies where someone just quite simply being able to look outside on some trees take in far less painkillers and uh, get healthier and get discharged earlier. A couple of years ago, I had a, a serious accident and I was in a hospital and I, I still remember after about 10 days stepping out and feeling the breeze and the scent of the trees and, and tearing up because, mm. you know, just being locked in like that for all that time, it was, I, I really noticed the difference. So is this linked back to our ancestors like the way we used to live is this something that is implanted in our brain to be out in nature because thousands of years ago we would have been I think so. So I don't have any research that I can say that we know that invariably, but I have to say intuitively, I feel that over, you know, hundreds of thousand years, we have lived in the environment. We've been living with trees and on the grass and in the dirt and in the different uh, seasons and weather and textures and scents and, and the microbial component of all of that as well. And, and we've disengaged from it. We put ourselves in these little concrete huts and, uh, you know, in Canada, we now can seal our homes so tightly that now we have to look and make sure that we can get some air going through <laughs> because it's shown that um, in the average home that we have a higher level of carbon dioxide just sitting in, in our homes. And so being outside, you know, it's, it's just healthier all around. But I, I think that the fact that over the past couple hundred years that we've segregated ourselves from our natural environment is is to our detriment and that we're inherently made to be in in nature it's changing i can like you said earlier when you, when we were kids i was never at home i was always out in the forest you know just a gang of us just out camping doing whatever we used to do it was amazing yeah you don't see much of that at all now do you and you just intuitively you're moving your body you're engaged you're thinking you're being creative thought um, I know there's, uh, I live in the Riverland now, and there's um, bush kindy. Man, I just, you know, I look at Envy at the four-year-olds. I'm like, oh, I'd so love to be doing that. That's fantastic. <laughs> mm. And we, I think we need that to engage our children. I love, um, I love what you guys do and how you get the animals out to children to, and just opening their eyes to what's out there. Because um, I know when um, studying in Adelaide to become a doctor, when I, I was so excited, I couldn't wait to move back out into the bush. And I used my medical degree to, um, I was in Alice Springs and some of the um, homelands outside of there, up into the East Arnhem land. And uh, I love being with the people on the land, but as well as the the nature and people would, go, would be in Adelaide going, well, aren't you going to get bored? What are you going to do? And I'm like, I feel like the opposite. I'm, I'm in the city and after going to see the wildlife photography exhibit, <laughs> I'm, 
I'm bored. So I'm, I'm endlessly just sitting outside and, and, uh, and, and seeing how the land changes and, and, and what the species are doing, who's flying in when the Murray flooded a bit. I could see a whole different array of um, species that came in with different, um, different birds. We were getting the mulga parrots and things like that, which I wasn't used to seeing. Um, yeah, if you just sit still enough, long enough, um, you can start to see the intricacies and it's just, uh, you know, living in a David Attenborough program all the time. I've heard of him. Yeah, Dave heard Recollection. Of- I think I say that every time his name's mentioned, so we're going to take that out. <laughs> no. <laughs> He's, uh, I don't know if you want to delete this, but uh, on Valentine's Day, uh, oh, about, three, yeah, about three years ago, David Attenborough was here speaking. And, um, and I think we've all had the card, right? You know, the, the person that you can you cheat on your partner with. So I had, uh, I had David Attenborough and my, and my husband on, on Valentine's Day. We went to listen to David Attenborough speak. And it was just um, deep gratitude that he has taken what is so important for this planet and really ultimately our health. If you look into um, climate change, that's, that's, you know, 100 hours of talking about that and how it's going to have vast implications on our health. And uh, that he's bringing that to just to the doorstep of everybody and engaging people. I just have unending gratitude for what he's done. It, yeah, we needed someone like David Attenborough to come in and start talking about it for mm. sure. Yeah, I wish that we could live closer to nature but still have the lifestyles that we have. Like I can envisage a lifestyle that won't happen in our lifetimes or maybe the next lifetimes. Maybe it'll take a few generations. But if we wanted, we could actually have a piece of land that is our homeland that we live on almost off the land. But we also can work in a city and be doctors and we can make smartphones and we can fly to space and we can do all these things. So we have technology... But unless we completely evolve away from it, I think it's really important to have that connection with even just food production and, and natural biodiversity as well. Um, and let, let's say you're living in the city and you lose your job or something happens, you're not just, oh, I can't afford to rent anywhere, I'm going to live on a sidewalk now, you know, like a homeless person. Um, that should be a thing of the past. You just then retreat back up to your homeland which could be your family's area of land. Obviously, this requires less people for this to happen. Yes. Um, but that's we could we could we could if we were aware of why we're having less kids, we could do this for future generations to have an area where you live off the land and you can eat a duck. You know, you can hunt a roo, or you can grow some veggies or whatever it is. Well, and they find they're finding that. Um the food where we just monoculture isn't as as healthy as when we can we can have some animals that are on the fallowed land while we're growing on the other uh, bit of land that the, the microbiome in the soil determines the um, the amount of nutrients that get into the plants that we we eat and uh, this is just a really I don't know the intricacies of it but uh, but yes the way we've mass produced so many things is actually to the detriment of our health and uh, and I, th- I think what you're talking about is what we need to go to that we need to um, remember that we are part of this planet and um, and everything on the planet is there for a reason and, and vital and it's the t- to the detriment of ourselves as well as everything else when we lose lose a species whether it's a plant or, or an animal uh, or, and as we take out different environments 
that uh, we're, we're doing it to ourselves, unfortunately. Yeah, the soil's a big one, isn't it? Um, mm. So, so every, there's every reason to connect back with nature. I mean, I mean, at the moment, the way we live, we're born, and we're pretty much born into debt because you have to somehow buy a house. You know, so that's kind of like a lifetime commitment that you have to do a job that you probably have to do nine to five and you possibly could, that'll, that'll be at the detriment to your health. I mean, it's very hard to be balanced and work so much, isn't it? can be. I mean, we talked a little bit about it before. You said mm. you can choose to have your coffee break outside to plug into nature. That's yeah. a great idea. Yeah, go for a walk in the morning. And I'm looking forward to the um, the change in time so that when I'm done work, I still have enough daylight to go out and walk the dogs and see in the, the roos and the paddock across from the well, that, from my that's, property. That's the whole thing to get across to people, isn't it? It, it? Yes, we are all busy and some of us do work or some people do work exceptionally long hours, but it shouldn't stop you having a 20-minute, half an hour walk around or you know lunch break outside or something. Like, it doesn't matter how busy you are if you do that you will feel better about it that's it's discipline isn't it a lot of it it is mm. and, and awareness I think as you as you mentioned being aware of it that um, almost you hear people that start to get into plants and gardening and, and then they do more and more and more and, and I and I think that's part of that um, there's what's it, earthing or grounding where they when you're around the plants and the soil like little children and inherently just intuitively take their shoes off and, and walk in the grass and there's apparently something to do with the ions in the air around moving water like ocean and rivers and certain rainforests that they don't know how but it's it, we're, we're happier and so people start getting in the garden so it could be just something with a couple of potted plants in the back that you sit out and enjoy and and making a concerted effort uh, to go outside and it doesn't have to be without a device I like there's iNaturalist uh, on it uh, put it on your phone and go out like I had this weird like sinister looking fly come in and um, and it was determined to land on me and I took a photo of it and you upload it and then you know with, I'm with my nephew and I'm showing him like oh look at that's such and such fly and let's look that up and see what's what it's about and um, and learn some things about it so you, you can in, you can engage, yeah. Sorry, that's a koala in the background as well. Yeah. He's, bit, he's bit looking for love. That a plane just went over. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about the wind too, folks. Um, do, you, do you want to move inside? No, I'm, I don't think it's that. The wind. Oh. I'm just thinking on the audio. Not it does. For, it's just a, a few seconds here and there. So okay, it should be all right. We okay. got we got to practice yep. what we preach. <laughs> yeah. So we're doing this podcast outside, aren't we? That's good. Yeah, it's a discipline thing. I mean, I, I find that you, you've always got that bit of time in the morning. If you can go to bed that little bit earlier, you know, before 10 or whatever, you can get up with the sun or even a little bit before the sun comes up. It seems outrageous. But once you get into the swing of it, it seems so good, so normal. You can you can do half-hour exercise before you start your day um, in that time that you'd normally be laying in bed checking mm. your phone. Yeah, well, it didn't take long for me. Like, um, you know, I, I started walking, started doing a bit of bush, bush walking. If I go a couple of days now without going out for a bush walk, but sometimes I've had to go a week without going out in the bush, I miss it massively. And that was a quick turnaround from not doing stuff like that to just getting out there. And now I just love it. I think it's the best thing I do is me and you get together, Adrian, and we'll go out for a bush walk somewhere, and it's just amazing. We come up with some of the best ideas then as well. Well, that's right, and it does. It gets the brain flowing, yeah. the positive energy. You never see you never see couples arguing while they bushwalk. You never see anyone we arguing. Don't, do we? we never do, no, Stephen. Never. No. <laughs> Maybe they did, and then there's just one that walks away. But. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> 
but you're you're right. I say that people that this research is invariably in um, sit outside and for a half hour, and that's better than any antidepressant I could prescribe. Move your body for a half hour, and that's better than any antidepressant I could prescribe. And so, if you do the two of them together, you get the double whammy. And and just like the pair of you said, if you're out there walking with someone that's um, a good, healthy relationship, um, then that's the triple whammy. They um, I did a study with Harvard graduates over several decades, and they thought, well, they were looking at all kinds of components, jobs, and whether they smoked and things like that. And they were really surprised to find that the healthiest people were the ones that had the, the healthy, positive relationships. The people that lived the longest, healthy, positive relationships, and the people that were the happiest. So um, the people you hang out with are important. So it's okay to be choosy about who you spend your time with. And that's the other one. If you, I always say kids and dogs. If you start a routine with kids and dogs, then you'll be inclined to keep it because the, you know, if you if it's after school, you go outside and you start kicking the soccer ball around. Not only are you role modeling and embedding this habit into your child, but they're they're going to love it. And so every, they're going to like, when are we going, mom? When are we going, dad? When are we going to come and go? Come on. Same with the dog. Yeah, my dogs are like popcorn at the door. You know, when it's time to go for a walk. You were saying that yesterday, Steve. You want to get a dog again? I'd love to. And it's a football, not a soccer ball. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Whoa. Drop the gloves. Let's go. <laughs> yes, no, I was... Because um, even more like when I had dogs before, I loved dogs. I, I just absolutely love them. But I never used to take them out as much as I should have and take them for walks and stuff like that. And now I'm really into bushwalking and, and walking around and... Like, just think, wow, I really need a dog now. Like, I think my life would be so much better with a dog now. So, yes. And they teach you the true um, components of life, you know. It doesn't matter. We've got food, you know. It's the same kibbles every day, and they're just thrilled out of their their minds, you know. I I spent a little bit of time in Africa, and um, it just, I came back just being so grateful for having food every day when my husband comes home we or vice versa we stop what we're doing and 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 greet each other just like you know the dog comes running and says hello 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 you know and you get out and run around so they they, i think they've got the the basic components of a good healthy life down but you can learn a lot from a dog yeah i think so um so forest bathing Mm -hmm. so is that is that the concept of getting out into a forest it is, and it doesn't have to be a forest. It can be anything nature. I was uh, going to say, because SA doesn't have any forests. Well, you know, you, we trees. Woodland tree, bathing? Yeah, woodland, tree bathing. Um, nature bathing, you're right. It's just being in nature. And um, I don't have the, the data on it, but there's there are plenty of research that's out there that does show it's beneficial. It's actually a, a big, um, there's a big push in Japan for it. And you can see, you know, living in Tokyo, how you'd be desperate just to hang out with a tree and I certainly notice when um, I go out and uh, I go out with my camera and I'd be usually I'm looking for a species but sometimes I'm just looking for whatever wants to show up and my brain would stop all the like worrying about all the things in the past and the future and I'd just be there and I just all of a sudden I go geez it's just so much easier to breathe I just I feel so relaxed I feel good and I used to wonder like why do I have to leave where I am to be like that and I actually that was part of what that realization that brought me to something called mindfulness and meditation so I actually I'm a practicing Buddhist now I spend time meditating so that in the rest of my life uh, now and and every given moment that I think of it 
I'm aware of the, the feel of the breeze, the opportunity to talk with you two gentlemen, all these things, and it just becomes an overwhelm of, of gratitude. What a rich life I have. It doesn't mean I don't have crap, but, you know, it just gives you something to, to focus on to realize just how good life is. And, and that's what I was taught, I think, as a child, just walking through the birch trees and the oak trees and listening to the birds and taking in the scent. Yeah. I, too, practice mindfulness meditation. It's like a resetting, and it uh, it does. It's something you can it carries with you even when things are stressful and there's 18 things happening at once, and you're trying your best to keep up with it all. It just t- does take that edge off. Just having had that meditate and just remembering that mindset is still there for you if you're if you want to just pull over and just you know defrag again. Mm. Yeah, brainwashing someone called um, one of our, one of our teachers. He talked about um, it, it's. Um, letting all the crap out and let it settle because there's there's no no lotus without mud so without the crap in our lives we wouldn't have the fertilizer for all the good things no no ups without downs all that but i i find it um kind of like um i wear glasses so sometimes it gets dirty and things like that it's just a mindfulness it's just another reminder to stop for a moment and clear the lenses and 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 be aware of what's around here and now yeah they're great analogies, yeah. And I think if people um, don't know what the hell you're talking about right now, I think if they... Oh, they, thank you, Adrian. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Don't but, be so mean to Steve. Yeah, sure, yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it, it's like, I mean, let's say you've got somebody who's depressed and you recommend that they do some, um, some meditation, some healthy eating, uh, maybe some affirmations, maybe some you know, time in nature and some bushwalking and things. Eventually, you do that stuff, you will have some kind of, um, I don't want to say the term spiritual awakening because it sounds, it's, it's attached to a lot of... Crystals and wind chimes. Yeah, which are probably <laughs> fine too, but I don't know. Um, I'm not into crystals and wind chimes, but I'm not against it. But if it, whatever mm-hmm. works for people, mm-hmm. you know, I think people are going to discover something else about themselves. They're going to, maybe that's all just part of being grounded, you know. Mm-hmm. It's a, there's an, a way that maybe animals lock into all the time and we don't because we have this unprecedented amount of responsibility for an animal for one animal we have to remember so many things and um maybe life is more connected and i don't want to say spiritual again but um we have to we, we we do those things and we maybe tune into it more I think um, what I, I love about Buddhism is is that it's what is is. So um, you can look into any of the teachings or the, the the thinkings and tear it. They say tear it apart, put it back together. What's the truth for you? And it's what what is. And and I think if you do open your eyes to what's around us, and in particular in nature, I, I think nature's nature's the temple. Um, this planet is the church that that it is hard not to be overwhelmed with the incredible majesty of, of even the most simplest things around us when it comes to nature. I mean, we won the lottery. If you look at this, someone did the statistics once on the likelihood that some uh, a protein got together with another protein that would make something that would even suggest that you'd head towards the direction of life. And, and it's statistically really impossible. So... 
something's out there. And, and if it's just dumb luck, how bloody lucky are we? So people are trying to win the lottery. I'm telling you, you won the lottery a million times over just existing. And particularly as a human, you know, that, that, um, that we got uh, to go around on the merry-go-round as a, as a human opposed to, you know, some poor cow or something like that. Yeah. Funny everyone realized that. Mm. And it's probably hard to just, when I mean, you can be told that, but if you're, if you're out of whack... You know, if you're someone that's a bit out of balance because you you don't do a lot of these healthy things, you're just gonna go. What are you talking about? You know, you're not gonna. The penny doesn't drop for you. Um, Every yeah. journey starts with one step. So yeah. So I don't go in thinking. Here's 30 things you can do. I, I sort of um, uh, I call it sprinkle the pixie dust. Sort of just talk about it a little bit and what what resonates for you, you know, and it can be just going for a walk for someone for five minutes or, or I, I can't even express how important it is for us to eat non-processed foods. Don't worry, I eat chocolate and I'll have a, you know, <laughs> I'll eat a chip, you know. I'm not uh, relentless about it, but the vast majority of our food should be plant-rich and, uh, and, and look like it just came off the farm uh, because our food's become an industry. It's uh, to the detriment of our health and that's important too. And I think as all these things start to weave together, people start to feel feel better and one of the first ones is sleep there's just so many people I meet that are sleep deprived and that's because they've taken themselves as the natural environment uh, one of the best lights to see is the morning light it's full of blue tinge and it particularly motivates us it really does sort of hit the get up and go button in our brain so seeing the sun rise in the morning is really healthy for us and something is as simple as as that and and recognizing that the bright white cold light at night is fairly blue and messes with the brain's idea of whether it should have the melatonin to go up to go to sleep and the cortisol to go down so looking at just turning off the TV and the devices and maybe just having the, the fire and the heater at night or, or safely have a couple of candles or something like that and, and learn to wind down, go to sleep. Yeah, there's lots of ways to just start and, uh, and start engaging. I, guess, I think it's all intertwined. It'd be good if we could get rid of all the light pollution. Mm. We don't need all the street lights. Everyone's, everyone's cars have headlights. <laughs> you know, if, a, if cars didn't have headlights, I'd be on board. But they do. Anyway, yeah. I love it. I'll leave that with you. Hospitals would be really busy. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I'm going out on a survey in a, in about three weeks up in Kelpram, and I'm looking forward to that. Like as it is living in in Winky, South Australia, there's not a lot of light pollution, and and that's probably the first thing I do when I step out of the car when I get at home. I look up and I just stand there for probably about 30, 40 seconds and just look at the Milky Way and and the majesty of it and how blessed I am and and go into the house and eat the good food that I'm fortunate my husband was kind enough to make though I, you know I do cook it's not him all the time thank god he said it's him all the time but yeah and then yeah I'm looking forward to going to do the survey because yeah it's like Christmas you don't know what species you're going to see and uh, a year ago the last year we we barely saw any I think I saw a bearded dragon twice and uh, a shingle back once I really saw a drop in the the number of sightings of the reptiles and so I'm hoping with a little bit of rain that we're going to start to see a bit of a turnaround. Do you do pitfall trapping up at Calprom? Yeah so this is going to be my first time and that's my understanding so it's, yeah I feel like a kid counting down for Christmas because you know what what species are we going to see? Yeah. It's great fun. One of the things that stood out to me when I first did pitfall trapping was some of these areas look like there's nothing living there. They look pretty harsh and um, 
and it's just it's just remarkable like it, at the end of the day you find all the little diurnal species like small dragons and elapids and then in the morning you catch nocturnal species like geckos and legless lizards and small marsupials like dunnarts and things and in an area that you couldn't see a thing you know you, well, there's nothing living here you know there there are things Dr. Seuss, Horton Hears a Who. He um, he finds a, a dandelion fluff and there's a whole being living on it. And I remember as a kid thinking that and, and recognizing there's bacteria and there's little creatures all over. And, you know, you just have to roll over a rotting log and bam, it's a whole world. And I remember hearing that story and it just clicking with my experience in nature and me being very aware wherever I walk. Like, you know, people say, why are you walking like that? And I said, don't you see the ants? Like... <laughs> pretty sure they value their life as much as I do. I, I don't speak ants, so I don't know. But I think we we confuse our our ignorance of another being as their ignorance, and we presume they're ignorant. But they're pretty smart and clever. They've they've lived all these thousands of years and evolved just as long, if not maybe more than, than we have. And they'll live past us too, probably. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, <laughs> if we yeah, I think so. don't leave too much of a, a footprint. But yes, they've done, I'm sure, some pretty terrible studies where they show, like, insects have um, emotions they're like they did some tests with some honeybees and my god they're clever they, they had a whole regime where they pull ropes and everything like that to go and get um, the pollen and things like that and that they feel pain and I would have thought that was pretty obvious but um, mm. they decided they need to study to determine that it's you know I'm pretty sure that there's um, a massive amount of intelligence out there that um, that we just keep trying to measure by the human stick or the human barometer like just look at monarch butterflies you know that's what at least four generations that you know it's not even the same butterfly but they land on the same tree every couple of years it's just see that's just you know it's not religion but it's and it's maybe not spiritual but how does that not make it a feeling of awe? Yeah, definitely. And we're part of that. But I think we've disengaged. And when you come back to it, because the land I'm on is um, scrub, and I've, I've found it dump, you know, stuff dumped. And so cleaning it up, I just intuitively felt this, I guess what the term would be probably guardianship. But, you know, I did, there's a mob of kangaroos that hop through and, and uh, you know, I don't want them stepping on the glass. And, uh, and I feel a bit bad that it's there. And and then there's special moments where, I, you know, I, I couldn't go to work because I picked up a virus. I should, should these days you stay at home until you got the symptoms free and your COVID swab is negative and uh, I'd raised um, a couple of uh, crested pigeons um, that were found as babies and uh, and they're living at the one end of my property and I was I, I, I put a little bit of food and water out just you know and then woo, and they come in <laughs> and I was hanging out for them and um, and I was just sort of sitting by a bush and then coming across the path was a, a, a western grey male and you, you could see him you know, stop and see me and then stare at me for a while. And it was funny because I, I, I am kind of nerdish. I'm reading a mammal book. <laughs> and the night before, it's like, they are, the males are particularly aggressive. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Probably better if I hadn't read it the night before. But yeah, and he just stared at me and then just did, you know, as kangaroos do, the slow walk and then hopped off. I'm like, yeah, what a special moment. I wish I could tell eight-year-old me, you're going to mm. live in Australia. I used to do projects on raccoons. I did it on marsupials, monotremes. Thought, you know, as a kid, I'd go to Australia, and then as a teenager, you see how big it is. And then you thought, no, there's no way. But now I've come here, and I still remember grade three looking at a picture of a, a whale shark. 
and just knowing there's no way I'd ever see that. They're out in the middle of nowhere and swimming with one out of Ningaloo Reef. Mm-hmm. Man, that felt that felt like a religious experience. My life is charmed. Being under the water with a whale shark. Yeah. Yeah, it was glorious. Especially when it wasn't a tiger shark. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's so, the boring one. Yeah. <laughs> it's a brief experience. <laughs> so you, your love for wildlife and nature has taken you around the world a bit. It has, and I've used... Um, I picked Flinders University particularly to do my um, medical degree so that I could get out of the city. Adelaide's lovely, but to get out of the city and um, be in small towns to get my education, which I thought has been brilliant, but it also got me to various um, places on the continent and and seeing different species. And and I spent uh, a lot of time with Aboriginal communities, and I just... I just loved how a lot of people were just very here now and they, you know, they're guardians of their land and uh, I just felt I could breathe a bit easier. You just enjoying being in the environment and the respect for the animals around us and things like that. I remember one time being with, and they were, they'd, um, they ran off because they were getting a, a ray. They caught a ray and, and, uh, and, and I just empathetically, like, I, I, I'll watch these David Attenborough shows and I I see the leopard and I, I know the leopard's hungry, but I, the monkey doesn't want to be eaten. And, you know, I get both sides, I'm feeling terrible. So I said, I can't, I can't, I can't do that with the ray. And so they just, all of a sudden I'm off in the middle of the bush and they're showing me bush tucker. You know, when do you eat this? When do, when do you harvest that? What do you have it for? Oh, this is some bush med- It was just, it was just utterly brilliant. Yeah, who knew that I was going to be in Ramon Gidding uh, watching an initiation ceremony? Like, I just, yeah, mm. blessed. I don't know how many times Special over. Special times, yeah. yeah. I love all the culture that's embedded with nature. That's the sort of thing I'd love to see humans get back into, but without losing track of technology. Like I said before, like we mm. can have our cake and eat it too, I feel. Yeah. I think that's important too because there's going to be a cataclysm. And people, we just society doesn't have resilience against like um, something like a pandemic that we're going through now, or some kind of um, natural disaster, because we're only based on our technology. You know, if if the if the food doesn't arrive in the shops, we don't know what to do anymore. Absolutely, I think there was um, a few years ago in the UK there was a town. Um, and I can't remember why, but th- nothing was going in and out for a couple of weeks, and they got into a world of strife. Mm. So I, I think the cities were, will be devastated if something like that, but it'll be the people that are out on the land where the neighbor has cucumbers and that neighbor has squash, and uh, and you can bring in a kangaroo or something like that. Um, those are the ones that are, that are going to be best set up. So... Um, yeah, I have a bit of a joke. I've got a neighbor that um, he's, he's got green thumbs, the understatement. I can't believe what he, he grows. And I, I told him, I said, you're, you're my apocalypse, buddy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be over. That's so uh, funny. Yeah. yeah, I think things are going back that way again now. I think people are, are starting to grow a lot of stuff for themselves now. I think everyone I know now does even in england like they've all got a veggie patch or, or something do you think covid helped that well i think it was before that but i think covid will definitely help with things like that i think it will make people think don't worry about toilet paper worry about where we get our 
our medications. Like I think a lot of them come from India and China. I, you know, <laughs> mm. I got a bit like, oh no. <laughs> like, I remember doing a project in medical school saying like we should be, you know, we could have the infrastructure built up here. There'd be jobs. We could, you know, make sure we could cap how much it, um, how much it costs and stuff like that because we're really dependent outside of us. Um, I think Australia has a lot of room to have uh, a really good look at how we go if we if we really did have to sh truly shut our borders to everything outside of us. And there's some changes to be made, but in a lot of ways, we'd also do very well, I think. Yeah, it, it would be hard point. because mm. I, I think the, the problem that we'd have is things like wages and stuff like that. Because farmers that produce most of their stuff now that goes abroad, mm. like they wouldn't be able to breed just for Australia or farm just for Australia and actually make the wages that they make now, maybe. No, no. Yeah, they'd the have to change. To, there's a lot that would have to change, but I'm sure those changes would bring on other professions that could help in those things. But it'd be great if, yeah, if there was a big study done on that. Can Australia just become self-sufficient? Yeah, and even just on a micro level, like let's just say Adelaide, it'd be great if we could produce medicines if we had to here, just locally. Mm. Uh, or anything like like particularly food let's just start with food because that's mm. the most important medicine can we feed ourselves all year round just here if we had to exactly yeah I'll, I'll leave that one with you okay no that's pressure homework yeah, all right. yeah. Well, I think it all comes down to wages we're fairly blessed with our high wages mm. that would not be that great I'm reading a book by uh, Kim Stanley Robinson. It's called Red Mars, and then there's Green Mars, then Blue Mars. And if you're interested, in it, it's not really like swashbuckling, exciting. But it's this man. He's oh, I would love to have this guy for over for dinner. He's um, it, it, he's got the uh, the science down. He's got the psychology down. The sociology. It's just this whole experiment at looking at um, some. So some people st want Mars to be left untouched. It's it's worthy in itself just as it is and then of course the people said can't or the uh, earth's overpopulated we, people have to go somewhere so they're terraforming it and um, but part of it is is that they 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 flip the economics of it so that there is no corporation anymore and because corporation can get away with a lot of evil I'm at this point in the book where they've flipped it so that everybody that works for uh, the cooperative they choose the cooperative they're going to work with but the workers are the owners and uh, and they're responsible for what they produce the lifestyle they want but also the land that they're on and um uh, it's it's idealism and uh, I'm, I'm actually i'm really loving the book and in a lot of ways you think oh people so should be so looking in into in this in effect every mm. company that exists would be only having to make enough money to pay someone a wage and no such thing as profit above that yeah you just um you just work you're part of the the workers are the owners and and yes and the part of it that is is that we're not because our hours are getting longer and longer remember when they were worried that everything would be automated and we wouldn't have to work and we'd all be bored you know that we'd have to be looking at how to keep us entertained yeah. but you just keep working 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 i i was working um, 16 hours a day at times and 96 hours on call and all kinds of stuff and it was just no matter how hard you work you, you still could have worked more and it, it took me a while to realize that i was i was chewing through my own time on the planet and that um i needed to to slow down and do 
bit more quality than quantity and that I had my own right to have a full night's sleep and, and sit in the scrub and watch birds. Yeah, that's a, such an important thing. I run a small business and it takes up so much time. I live on a property, it all takes up time. Luckily, I, I enjoy what I do and that's okay. But even if you enjoy what you do, you still actually have to have that discipline to do stuff just for yourself, whatever that means. But yeah, you, you need to have that time. So good on you for making that decision. Not an easy decision to make sometimes. It costs money. Yeah, it was hard. So I, I, yeah, I certainly don't make the money that I, I, I used to or I could have, but I'm happier. Yeah, I've got a student loan still in my 50s with a student loan and a mortgage, but you know what? Um, it's... Um, there's, there's invariably the research that shows that um, once you, you get your, your basic needs met, that more money doesn't change happiness. You know, even people that win the lottery, they show that they get the initial spike in happiness. And then actually there's a dip where they go below, probably because there's a lot of squabbling with people wanting a piece of your money. And then they go back to where they were before. But they've shown that uh, yeah. good relationships, getting out there in nature and sleeping well and doing all those things, that invariably lifts up your happiness and sustains it. Yeah. I think, um, too, when you talk about getting in touch with nature, it doesn't necessarily mean jump in the car and drive to a national park. I mean, it can and it should, but also, like you said before, you can have pictures of nature on your walls. I've got a lot of um, plants in my house and obviously you know, your backyard, I mean, that that's a blank canvas too for putting in things that attract wildlife and plants and plants local to your area I always find they just there's just a, a different level of excitement for me because they're going to become part of a system you'll have you know cicadas will come through and katydids and you know it's, they might self-propagate and you've got different levels of that um, yeah, the life of these plants and you, all, the, all the things that uh, nature has so gardens are great mm-hmm. but even just having more biodiversity in your garden you know with local native species and you know a lot of ground covers and uh, rocks and logs and things for but still also having your humans amenities area too like your lawn and a shady tree i owned a double piece of land sort of in um, sackville new brunswick before i moved to australia and it went down below and into a wetland and the bylaws said that the front had to be uh, lawn and it had to be mowed and all that stuff. And I just let the back part of it go and I remember one of my neighbours was just mortified by this but it really opened my eyes over a couple of years as the first year all these different flowers and, and, and different grasses started growing in and then by the second year there were all these bugs that I'd never seen before and then the third year all of a sudden I've got all these species of birds and I, I used to... Um, I, people say, what are you going to do? I'm just, I'd say, oh, I'm going to go home and have a glass of wine, just watch the show. And that used to be just sitting on the back deck and just seeing what flew in. And and we'd have muskrat and things like that, um, um, raccoons, It's all of this. And I started to realize just, just with everything we pulled down for cities and, and lawns and things like that, the biodiversity that we we obliterated. Yeah, we've got the same. We've planted some native plants in our front garden that we look out of from the kitchen and that. And the, the amount of insects and the amount of small geckos and things that we're getting out there now in the last couple of years, it's just amazing. Yeah, it's, it possibly got a bit overrun with little geckos and little, <laughs> little uh, lizards and things. So, yeah. It Can't is have too many geckos. Cool. No, probably so cute. <laughs> 
When I was a kid, uh, I'll probably take, I'll probably take <laughs> this out, but I, I don't know if it's podcast worthy, but I just remember we used well, to go... Well, determine how boring it is. All right, thank you. Yeah, be honest. I'm amazed that you don't were hold a kid. Back. Don't hold back. Take it easy. Um, <laughs> we used to go to a, a, a lake called uh, Ian McCauley. Ian, if you're listening, shout out. And he his parents never mowed the back lawn, and the, the grass was like nearly head high. And as kids, we loved it. It was so much fun. We'd run through there, and his dogs would chase us, and there's little trails, and it had all this habitat. It was really, really cool. And then one day, we went to Ian's, and his parents had mowed the lawn, and we're like, ah. Oh. Oh. We just sat out there, and you could see the fences, and it was like, yeah, we might go home, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> It's not the same. <laughs> no, don't follow us, Ian. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Ian. Um, but I, I was thinking about that as I, 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 the other day I was pulling out some of the um, weedy grasses and I was thinking, I'm just decimating a forest for these inverts here. You know, that's why it's always important to, um, if you're going to remove weeds, uh, you know, replace the weeds Make with sure something else. Something there, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cause it's important, even if they're weeds. Now, is there anything that we haven't covered that you would like to cover? And we've got 10 minutes left. 10 minutes left. Oh. Why have we got 10 minutes Before left? Before we run out of card memory. Is that what it says? <laughs> yeah. Gee. Yeah. That's never happened before, has it? No. No, I mean, I mean, I can quote some statistics that talk about the lux of light and all that stuff, you know, just getting outside for... Um, inside, it's about uh, 500 lux, uh, and then sitting outside, even on an overcast day, will be double that, and they've proven that if, you, if we get 10,000 lux for 30 minutes, that will improve our mood. So um, just sitting in the shade on a sunny day will easily achieve that. So you don't have to go out and crisp yourself. So, uh, so we are, the sun is powerful medicine, and of course we know that from seasonal affective disorder. I know people feel that here, but um, you know, in Canada when the sun came up at about nine and went down <laughs> it was always grey, overcast. I struggled. That's one of the big reasons, actually. I came here is um, uh, because I struggled through January, February, March, April, going to move, going to quit my job, couldn't stand where I was. Nay, in the garden, life is good. <laughs> <laughs> and when I came here through Rotary, I used to be a sports therapist, and, uh, and I came here on a group study exchange, and uh, I started thinking about uh, what's it like to to be able to have a sea blue sky all year round and and invariably um, that part of my life's changed dramatically yeah because yeah, they used to prescribe happy. lighting didn't they yeah and they that. still do yeah yeah unbelievable so you sit in your lounge and get that lighting <laughs> get outside <laughs> <laughs> and vitamin D's huge too isn't yeah. it well I think Super that's important. the main reason isn't it for the yeah. well we're not sure what it is exactly and I, my, my parents lived on Baffin Island for a few years, and that's in the Arctic Circle. That's the top part of Canada where you see all the little islands and stuff like that with the Inuit people. And um, there's about a about two months where there's no sunlight. And uh, they say, the glass talking, mm. um, they used to buddy up with each other so that they could um, check on each other to make sure that nobody... It was getting too down so the, the suicides and murders would go up and um, my dad used to struggle with the opposite because when it was day you had daylight 24 7 for a couple of months he'd struggle with sleep which you could could imagine but you're right being out in the sunlight not only makes vitamin d uh, the active form of vitamin d they're actually finding there's a very good reason why we have blood vessels all just under our skin and that's to activate a variety of things so um, they're starting to look into that so it's not just vitamin d and vitamin d isn't a vitamin it's a hormone and it's not only just important to get the calcium out of the blood put them in the bones keep them nice and strong so if we have a trip we don't fracture anything um 
it's also very important for our immune system to function properly and they're starting to look into it and finding it does other things as well so it's it's a watch this space yeah that's interesting if we're and also if we're outside we generally have clothes on mm-hmm. are we still getting vitamin d if it's just on our face on our hands or our arms or do we need to actually get outside in the nutty sometimes <laughs> Depends on what your neighbours think, but um, so for South Australia, the if um, the average person, so the darker the skin someone has, the more they have to be in sun, uh, or if they uh, culturally cover up quite a bit. So in the summertime, if you go out in the morning or the evening, and they say sort of the chest, we're talking like just the upper part of the chest, the arms and the face to the sunlight in the morning and the evening for 10 minutes in the summertime, 40 minutes in the wintertime. So I can't say, you know, at 7 in the morning in July, I'm out there, you know, in spaghetti strap top getting myself in the sun. It's just a bit too cold even for the Canadian. So um, uh, I take a little bit of vitamin D just to be on the safe side for me. But Because the other thing is I'm, I am Canadian. I'm red or white. I burn white, <laughs> burn white. So um, I have to lacquer up with the, the sunscreen. But you're right. It's uh, so still safe sun practice, slip, slip, slap, and all that. Yeah. And uh, always commune with your gloss. Yeah. So we did this podcast outside, as I said. Sorry about the wind, folks. There's a bit of that. A lot of birds cruising around. Galahs, Adelaide Rosellas, rainbow lorikeets. Let alone the resident duck. And uh, took yeah. on the uh, curawong. Yeah. Oh, there's one, the, the male Pacific black duck's got a real limp, and we call him <laughs> Limpy, and he just he chases off other animals from the from his from his territory. He's a savage Limpy. Well, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on. That was awesome. Yes. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. Been meaning to have you on for a while. Yeah, it just took me a while to, to come back to the big smoke. Now, if people want to get in contact with you... My practice is called Living Well with Dr. Wilson. I have a website, which is www.drwilson.com.au with everything spelled out, D-O-C-T-U-R-W-I-L-S-O-N. I've got a, a, a Facebook page where I post a few things, and uh, and then there's my, my practice uh, I can do telehealth, but the thing with telehealth is that I, I need to see pr- people face-to-face first. So there is that, that element as well. And we'll put links to that on our website. Cheryl, thank you for coming on. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. Awesome. And guys, thank you for listening. Thank you.